Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You've got to wait 12 months for it to expire. But with Airbnb, you can stop that calendar at any time you want. So you don't miss out on opportunities like that. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, hope you enjoy this debate series. Theo is going up against Sue. They're talking about long-term leases versus short-term leases and not what strategy is superior, but which one is best for you. So enjoy this debate and let us know your thoughts on who has the best one by going to thebestevercommunity.com and sharing your thoughts. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the first ever Best ever debate. We're streaming live from Facebook right now. I'll be your host this time, Theo Hicks. Joe's going to sit this one out. And my opponent is going to be Sue Oyuela of B&B Freedom Formula. Sue, thank you for being on. How are you doing today? Great, Theo. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here, to be the first one to do a debate with you. <laughs> Fantastic. And I wasn't doing opponents because... I was going to have an easy victory. I was saying opponent because my outcome of this conversation is to not have a fist of cuff fight back and forth on what's the better strategy. My outcome is to help everyone listening learn the different strengths and challenges of these two different investment strategies that you guys can determine which one fits best for your current situation. Because at the end of the day, as real estate investors, we know that it really isn't the best strategy. The best strategy kind of is subjective and is based off of your experience, your time commitment, the amount of money you have, where you live, and things like that. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a list of five different factors and kind of go back and forth and explain how those factors relate to each of our strategies. But before we get into that, it's important to have some context. So Sue, do you mind giving a quick background on how you got into short-term rentals as well as what short-term rentals actually are? Sure. Let's see. Uh, back in 2011, I was deep in debt looking for a way to make extra money. And somebody said the word Airbnb. And in 2011, mostly people would respond Airbnb what? <laughs> so it was a way to make extra money by renting a room or a house to short-term guests, kind of like a hotel in a way. And this mm-hmm. was a website that allowed you to create a listing and Airbnb markets that to the world So now travelers have another option for where to stay and they can come across your listing and say, sure, I'd love to stay with you. So back at that time, we had nothing to lose. We were just trying to find a way to make extra hundred dollars to put towards our debt and get out of debt faster. And within the first month, we made an extra thousand dollars. And that was just by renting a shed in our backyard. (laughs) So we were like, wow, what else will people rent? And that's where I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, ideas and woo. And so I started getting very creative with space and I rented the 
laundry room in my house, the cupboard under the stairs. We turned into the Harry Potter room, rented my couch, rented actual rooms. And after nine months, I'd created enough income from this little side hustle to quit my full-time job. And then at that point, I started saying, what else can I do with this amazing tool called Airbnb? So I started renting other people's property and timeshares and just, I used four different business models that Mm. eventually allowed my husband to quit his job too. We got completely out of debt and we were making a six figure income and just started saying, this is the best thing since sliced bread. This is the actual door to financial freedom. We have to tell everybody about this. So I started teaching and coaching. I've created an online course to help people eliminate the learning curve that I had to go Mm -hmm. through (laughs) to create a six-figure income with these short-term rentals. And they're a wonderful alternative to long-term rentals. So I'm excited to be able to share the ins and outs and the pros and cons with you here today and hope that your audience will benefit from that. Well, I'm sold. I'm I'm converting all my long-term rentals to short-term rentals tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm really excited to learn about your four short-term rental strategies because I think even if you aren't going to do short-term rentals, I think learning about these strategies can help you make your long-term rental business more effective or to kind of do it in addition to your long-term rentals. Mm -hmm. Quickly, in one sentence, define what short-term rentals in just for purposes of the conversation. Okay. (laughs) A short-term rental is anything less than 30 days. So if you're going to rent out a room, a space, or a house on Airbnb, it's going to be less than a 30-day rental to someone who's traveling for any number of reasons. But it's actually a simple distinction, but a very powerful one. And we'll get more into that in a moment. (laughs) Really quickly, most of you guys know my background, but I bought my first long-term rental in, I think it was 2013, I house hacked a duplex that I bought after just learning about real estate the night before. I had a property under contract within two days, so I got after it. So that kind of speaks to, I guess you don't really need a lot of experience, or maybe you do based off of how it turned out and some of the problems that I went through. But after I bought that, I held it for a year, sold it. And then a couple of years later, which was actually in past August, I bought 12 units, so three different fourplexes at the exact same time while having a full-time job. And I I managed those myself for three or four months. And then I moved to Tampa for my wife's job and ended up putting those under property management. So I have an understanding of the house hacking strategy, actually buying rentals and then managing them yourself, as well as my favorite, which is having someone else manage them for you. So that is my background. And For the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to define long-term rentals as an active strategy. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the property manager, but it's not like a passive investment where all you do is just give money to someone else and they do all the finding and analyzing and managing of deals for you. So it's active in a sense that you have to buy it yourself and find the deal yourself. I'm also defining it as me using my own money. I'm not raising capital for it because that's not fair to talk about that because it's completely different. And then I'm also just going to keep it to residential properties just because I I want to talk about more of someone who has a little experience or is just starting or is looking to transition. So they're not going to be buying a 20 unit as their first long-term rental deal. And then to distinguish it from short-term rentals, I'm talking about 12-month non-furnished units. So the first factor, and I guess the most important factor, and the one that I already know that short-term rentals wins on is the returns. So for my long-term rentals, when I'm looking at deals, I want a five-year average of 10 to 15% cash-on-cash return, usually buying 25% down. And so I want a 10 to 15% cash-on-cash return over a five-year period. What are the returns? I'm sure this is a very vague question, but what are the range of returns for short-term rentals? Well, that's one of the things that I discovered early on that just blew my mind. So short answer is double to triple what you're used to making with long-term rentals. But the way I discovered that was when we started renting a room in our house, I was looking at like, what if I went to rent it on Craigslist? And it was maybe $500 a month to rent a room in someone's house. Mm -hmm. And if you break it down, that's $17 a day. So when we put it up on Airbnb, it was $50 a night. And that's going to be times 30 nights in a month. That's $1,500 a month, triple what you would have gotten from a regular long-term tenant. 
And when we applied the same strategy to a whole house rental, the same thing happened. We were renting it for $1,200 a month. And when we put it up on Airbnb, we made $3,600 a month. So that's super powerful. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it across the board. And the funny thing is, is when I talk to landlords and I say, how much rent are you getting from your long-term tenants? And they're saying, well, I could probably get more, but I'm afraid to raise my rent because it's so hard to find a good tenant. And if I raise it, they might leave. And then I don't know what I'm going to get. So they wind up kind of shooting themselves in the foot almost by not raising the rents as much as they should to keep that income coming in the way it was the original intention, right? Invest in real estate and get that passive income coming from the rentals, but you have to continue to increase it. But a lot of landlords don't. So they could switch to the short-term model. They're actually going to get a bigger boost in their rental income right off the bat. So I call the difference between renting by the day, by the month to Mm -hmm. the long-term tenants compared to renting by the night to the short-term guests. The difference is night and day. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Uh, a little corn there. Something that I I discovered in my research about returns is consistency. People were saying for short-term rentals, since you're doing it daily or weekly or monthly, the returns are not going to be consistent month over month. Whereas for long-term rentals, of course, there's exceptions to this rule, but usually you're going to be collecting the same amount of rent each month. And so can you just kind of speak on, do the month over month rents fluctuate a ton? Is there some months where you'll make no money and the other months you'll make six times as much as you usually do? Or is it consistently that three times number month over month? Yeah, that's very true. It speaks to risk tolerance because the income does fluctuate and it really depends on a lot of factors where your property is, if it's going to have year-round traffic or if it's just going to be seasonal. So it's going to vary depending on where the property is and who your niche is. But uh, there's actually a really cool website that you could check out. If I could just throw it out there for folks. It's airdna.co, not .com, .co. And it's got something called the Rentalizer. And it's really cool. You put in your address and it will show you exactly what type of occupancy rate to expect based on every month, based on seasonal demand and all that good stuff. So that's a very difficult question to answer. But I found that for me, we're in Los Angeles and it fluctuates. Summer's our busy time. We have huge events sometimes where our income just skyrockets, but it's always outperforming the long term. And for me, High turnover is a good thing because I actually have five income maximization strategies that I incorporate into my short-term rentals so that every time we have a turnover, I'm actually adding to my bottom line. I'm adding additional streams of income to my income with that. So it can be very powerful, but you have to have the tolerance for that. So it's not for everyone. Absolutely. A couple of things you hit on. I'll definitely ask you more questions on when we move to other factors. But the last question I have, and I think I know the answer to this, but I know one thing that attracts a lot of people to long-term rentals is the ability to accumulate equity, whether it be just natural appreciation or renovating it and increasing the rents and increasing the property values that way. And then after a year or two, pulling out equity and then using that to kind of rinse and repeat and buy some more properties. Is that a strategy that you can use in short-term rentals? Absolutely. I've known quite a few people that they want to do the buy and hold for a couple of years because their end strategy is to actually flip it and get that equity out. But why not just rent it on a short-term basis in the meantime? Because that actually gives you a lot more flexibility when it comes to exiting that property. If you're on an annual lease, you've got to wait 12 months for it to expire. But with Airbnb, you can stop that calendar at any time you want. So you don't miss out on opportunities like that. Yeah, I figured. A quick follow-up question. When a bank is looking at the property and, and looking at whether it's a refinance or a home equity and a credit, do you show them what your occupancy and what your rents have been? I guess is the process the exact same as it would be for a rental? Or are they like, oh, well, this is maybe inconsistent. They look at it differently and have a lower LTV or it's a higher LTV. Yeah, no, that's really cool because I was doing Airbnb since 2011 and I wanted to refinance and see if a bank would accept that income. And they were like, no, that's ridiculous. But now that they've been here, it's 10 years now that Airbnb has been around and they are viable now and they've proven their business model. So now, yes, banks are accepting your Airbnb income as 
proof that you've got steady income that you can confidently refinance or just refinance on right now. That's a huge recent development for short-term rentals. Yeah, uh, very exciting. Ooh. So that completes the return factor. The next one that I wanted to kind of talk about is, I called it barrier to entry. I have it broken into subcategories. It means a lot of different things. The first one is about location. And we actually had someone who's watching ask a question, Whitney. And he asked, can you Airbnb anywhere or are there cities that will not allow it? If so, what do you do then for short-term rentals? I'm assuming he means maybe the location has a regulation against Airbnb. So do you want to kind of speak on that? Absolutely. Yes, you have to comply with the local laws and rules. And if they require a permit or whatever it is, you need to find out what that is and comply. So it's difficult, though. There's no blanket, no standard any, yeah. you know, anywhere. So you do have to do your due diligence and do some research online. I start with the city and the municipal code to start seeing if they have anything in place for short-term rentals. They use a lot of different keywords. If you're going to do the research in your city, you can look under short-term rental, vacation rental, sublet. Some really archaic terms they're using are like room and board, boarding house, rooming house, things like that. Yeah, they have all kinds of different terminology. So it's a little tricky to find out what the rules and laws are. But Airbnb does have a help section for that as well. So for the bigger cities, you can already find the documentation in Airbnb's help section, and they link to all the things you need. So it's really helpful. Let's say, for example, you're in a city or, oh, goodness, so many things just came to mind. So the, I have what I call the pyramid of safety of where I consider doing Airbnb. And the top of the pyramid is the don't do it area. And that's usually in HOAs, gated communities, condos with CCNRs, because they have their own little governing boards that any moment they can change the rules. And yeah. if you do Airbnb and they decide to say it's not permitted, then you're out of business. So the risk is too high. And I've seen that happen to a lot of folks. So I don't do it in anything that's got regulations like that. Apartment buildings are the next most dangerous place to do Airbnb in the sense of getting shut down. They're saying that it's eliminating affordable housing. So do that with caution. But if you get out into the suburbs, away from the hub, away from the main spot, that's what's powerful about Airbnb too, because you make more money out in the suburbs because first of all, it costs you less to own a property or rent something out away from the city center. And you still make fantastic returns on Airbnb. So that to me is the sweet spot. Staying away from the main place that's got all the attention on it. So there are some cities that have been completely, it's just not allowed. I was speaking in Michigan in Grand Rapids. And the people were like, no, they don't allow it here in Grand Rapids. Hmm. Yeah, but the border one block away is the next city over. They have no rules or regulations whatsoever. Do whatever you want. So if you've got that flexibility, that's what I usually say is just look across the border from the next city over and yeah. everything could be just fine. But if you don't have that flexibility, you probably shouldn't do it on that particular property. But there are ways to still get in on the Airbnb game Perfect. if you still want to play. I'll tell you more about that later. <laughs> Perfect. You basically hit on what I was going to ask you next. So I'll explain that. And then if you have anything else you want to further elaborate on. But obviously there's the regulations of the location, but there's also the demand of the location. And I know for long-term rentals, you can do a rental in the city. You can do it in the suburbs. I guess you could definitely run out a farmhouse and do it that way. Again, you kind of already hit on this. And it's actually surprising because I figured that it would be ideal in the big cities. But you're saying that the suburbs are actually better. The one person that I knew personally that did Airbnb, they actually had theirs next to a hospital. So what they were actually going to do or what they considered doing was... Obviously, you know, the hospitals have their hospital beds. They were going to turn their house into like a, a makeshift hospital room so they could put excess patients in there. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but the amount of money that they would have made by doing that was something insane. It's crazy because there's like obviously regulations on how many beds you can put per room and things like that. But they're by a hospital. So can you walk us through what are the types of things that you want to look for in the specific market that will let you know that there's going to be a strong demand for these short-term rentals? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm sure there's a million things. So, you know, yeah, that's one of the things that's in my course, because that's a real exercise to try and identify who your ideal guest is. But what I've learned is no matter where your property is, 
there is a niche to serve. Somebody's going to want to stay there on a short-term basis. Okay. Yeah. And you always discover things kind of like a surprise. Like we started getting a lot of poker players coming to our house, professional poker players. I'm like, nah, you can't make money a professional. That's an oxymoron. Come on. No, really. They actually are professional. And we didn't realize that we're three miles away from the Commerce Casino, which is the poker capital of the world. Who knew? So three miles away, poker players love us. They can get there for less than $5 in an Uber, and it's perfect for them. So as I've traveled, this is what I found. No matter where you go, there is a niche. And my brother-in-law... He actually comes to me and goes, guess what, Sue? He does Airbnb on his own house in his rooms. You know, we've kind of shared it with our whole family. And now they're all in Airbnb. And he says, I bought a property out in San Bernardino. I said, that's great. What did you buy? Two acres. I go, yeah, well, what kind of house is on it? And he's like, just dirt, just two acres. And I said, great. And he's like, yeah, it's already up on Airbnb. I'm already making money. I'm like, wait, okay, this is two acres of dirt in Lucerne Valley, where you don't have water, electricity, there's a road about a mile away, you get cell signal, and that's it. And he's got a niche out there because people love to go ride their ATVs. He's got film crews that are renting it. All kinds of people want to rent that property, and he's making a killing on a piece of dirt. He didn't even have to develop it. I was like, dude. <laughs> yeah, so. so it sounds like it just depends on how creative you want to get. And if you're a super creative person, like someone like you, definitely. I mean, you started off renting out a shed in your backyard. <laughs> then this sounds like an amazing strategy. For someone like me, who's like a spreadsheet guy, I'm very good with numbers. But whenever you know, my wife asks me to pick out a, a certain color couch, I'm just like, I don't know. They look the exact same to me. Um, so I think... For me, I really like long-term rentals just because it is so simple and basic. And again, I know some people get the kick out of that creative aspect of it, but I like just the basic. You find a property in an up-and-coming area. You stick some renters in there. You don't have to do anything fancy. Because I personally stick around like the C class B properties in markets that are right on the outskirts of A markets that are renting for just these insane uh, monthly rents, you know, like 1200 bucks for a one-bedroom per month. And eventually those people are going to want to start moving somewhere where it's more affordable. And that's what I'm seeing in my rentals right now. So, you know, location wise, I like to pick places that are right next to really nice areas. And since we're talking about barrier to entry and kind of transitioning to expertise and experience, that does take some experience, right? Because you know, every neighborhood's different, every street's different in a neighborhood. So if someone tells you to invest in Cincinnati, for example, there's a market in Cincinnati where houses are over a million dollars or where you can get, as I said, rents for $2,000 for a two-bedroom unit. But then literally a mile over, there's fourplexes that rent for $450. It does take a lot of, not necessarily time-consuming activity to understand your market, but you're going to have that for everyone. Something else about kind of the barrier to entry, as I just said, was experience. So for me, you know, I <laughs> maybe I'm an anomaly, but you know, the second I learned about long-term rentals, I just went and bought one the next day. And the reason I was able to do that was because I was able to do the house hacking situation. So I was able to put down 3.5%. In hindsight, I wish I would have done the 203K type of loan because I did renovations to it. I just didn't, again, I didn't know anything. And so I paid out of pocket for the renovations. But I was able to get in there and get a crazy return just because your down payment is so low. And so in regards to barrier of entry, from my perspective, I think long-term rentals are great because of the, the opportunity to do the house hacking strategy, which is... You buy with the owner-occupied loan, you live in one unit, and then you rent out the other ones. It has to be a residential property, of course. But that way, you could essentially live for free. And so it's a great strategy for people that are just out of college that have you know, maybe 10 grand saved up. I think my down payment was like 5500 bucks, And I ended up renting the top one for $1,400. And my mortgage was, I can't remember exactly what my mortgage was, but I was actually making money. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. I just can't believe this is... Real. And of course, it's different for me because, again, I didn't know anything about real estate. I thought that you have like a, some sort of certification to invest in real estate. I was a complete noob. And also, again, there's one other point I want to ask about the team. So I'm not necessarily sure if you are doing all the management yourself, but if you aren't, or for people that have a full-time job and they don't have the time to manage it themselves, how do they kind of go about doing that? Is that a challenge that, that you or your, any of your clients have? Well, that's interesting that you should say that because in the beginning, I was all about creating systems and streamlining. So I implemented all these systems in my own house 
so that I didn't have to do as much. I trained cleaners and put in systems for inventory supply. And then at one point, I outsourced the communication to a co-host. So that pretty much took everything off my plate. It was that simple. And then actually, I did have people that had properties asking me to help them. So I started a guest management services business so that I could do all those things for busy landlords and help them enjoy the income without the hassles. So if you're scheduling cleaners and restocking supplies and that's a hassle, then I was taking care of that for them. So since then, I've been teaching people now how to start guest management services as well because the need and the demand is so huge across the country and the world that there is enough to go around. I have to say, though, I love your story about the house hacking. I wasn't sure what that term meant, but I love it you shared because it's crazy. My daughter right now, she's buying the house she's living in because it happens to be a duplex. It's like a pocket listing deal, right? The tenants Mm -hmm. in the back moved out. The landlord came to her and said, I'm thinking about selling it. Do you want to buy it? She said, sure. And she's already got a storage unit full of furniture. So the minute she closes escrow, she's throwing all that furniture in there in the back house and turning it into an Airbnb. So it's kind of your strategy, but now it's on steroids. So now you've got the extra income from the short-term rentals to just amp it up. So yeah, she's been doing Airbnb too in her own house. And now that she's got this opportunity, she already understands the power of Airbnb. So it's not even a question long-term or short-term. She's going short-term all the way. I think I found the title of a book for you. Instead of house hack, it's the Airbnb hack. (laughs) I think that that's going to be the next big thing. Because we were house hacking before house hacking was a thing. I'm not sure when Brandon Turner coined that term or if he's the one that even coined that term. But (laughs) the guys that taught me about real estate, they both house hacked five years before I was house hacking. So back in the mid 2000s, it wasn't called house hacking. I don't even know how he discovered it. I actually know a clue how he discovered it, but I'm glad that he told me about it. Good strategy. So kind of already touching on it. So we'll transition into the next factor, which is time commitment. Because obviously if you want to make money, time is also a very valuable resource. And of course, for, for any strategy, you can automate the entire process and really have no time in there. But for, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say my side first, because I kind of did all three entry-level models. So for house hacking, and again, this is just me personally based on my personality, that one was the most stressful for me. And so obviously when I'm stressed out, that affects my time because I'm not productive at all. But it was just stressful. It could be due in part to not knowing what I was doing before I, I entered. But whenever I just thought of the house, I thought it was going to fall to the ground, catch on fire. <laughs> when my phone rang, I thought it was a tenant telling me something was wrong. <laughs> so I was a mess, which is kind of attributes to why I took like a two-year break. And then after those two years, when I bought these 12 units, I did the management of all of those myself. And I probably, if I would say, I probably spent on average, maybe around 10 hours a week doing that full-time management. Uh, once, obviously, I first took it over and got all those large duties out of the way, which is setting out all the new letters and letting everyone know who you are, fixing any ongoing deferred maintenance, which was people that are listening to this know all about that, <laughs> my boiler issue. I'm probably known as the boiler guy now. But once I was done with that, most of my time was spent doing landscaping. Like I'd go there and rake leaves and mow the lawn. So obviously that's stuff that's very easily automated. And it's only 12 units, but the time commitment on that end wasn't very hard. And now that I have an actual property management company, it's even less because whenever something happens, instead of me having the tenant call me, I have to go there and look at it and see what's going on and then find the proper person to solve the problem for them. And now the property management company will either do all of that up front, if it's a small maintenance issue, they'll do all of it. And I won't even know about it until the end of the month. Or if it's larger, he'll just say, hey, Theo, here's what's going on. Here's what I've already done. Here's the quotes. We can do this, this, or this. Option A, B, C. What do you want to do? And then I just, bing, 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 look at my phone. I go, option A. <laughs> and then that's it. So that's how it is from my specific situation. Again, I know that it's different. If you find the wrong property management company, that could be a problem. If you have a bad maintenance person, that could be an issue. But those are kind of just the two different types of strategies for long-term rentals that I did and the time commitments associated with each. And so my question for you, because this is what I would imagine, is that it would take a lot of time to manage a short-term rental because of all the kind of extra variables that are involved for long-term. But I'm sure you have a perfect solution 
for that. So let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I have to admit, when you own property, you still have those same issues. If you're a landlord, you still have to make sure that deferred maintenance is kept up and things can go wrong and you have to fix them. The benefits though, what I've heard from my landlords that when I've been managing the properties for them as a guest management services manager, So it's similar to a property manager, but it eliminates a lot of the headaches for landlords, I'm going to say, in three major areas. Okay. So first of all, when you are a landlord and you're looking for a new tenant, the time it takes, because you want to make sure you get a good tenant. This is going to be a long-term thing, and you want to go through the process of screening and running their credit and their background check and their bank statements. And then it's like courting them Mm -hmm. and you have to meet them and then you interview them and you show them the property and that time process. I don't even know how many weeks that takes. If you have a property management company, they're going to do that for you. But that process of finding a good tenant takes a long time. When it comes to short-term rentals, everything boils down to three questions. And in my system, it's actually Three questions that when they answer my question, I can give them an answer whether they're going to stay or not in less than a minute. So we've just reduced the whole screening process (laughs) down to like 30 seconds. And and what are the three questions you ask? I ask them, where are you coming from? Who are you traveling with? And what will you be doing while you're in town? (laughs) But you have no idea. They seem rather innocuous, but those are some extremely loaded questions. <laughs> and it's very important that you answer correctly or that's it. I'm not staying. But it's interesting because I worked backwards from all my horrible experiences with bad guests. I started saying, well, if I had done this, I wouldn't have had that problem. And as I started to see patterns, I started to be able to eliminate the things that were going to cause problems. And it just boiled down to those three questions. Yeah. So when it comes to screening, now we don't have to pay a management company to run credit and do all that and show the property and put signs and post ads. None of that. Airbnb handles it all. And then I just have to screen three questions, boom, and that's done. I guess, so, I guess what kind of, just a, a quick follow-up question on that before we move on to the other two. What would be an example of something that would like eliminate someone from contention? Okay, so when I'm asking the question, who will you be traveling with? It's very carefully worded. Because when the answer comes back, oh, I'm not traveling with anybody. I'm booking on behalf of my mom and my sister who are going to be visiting me Mm -hmm. while they're in town, but I don't have a room for them to stay in. That falls under the category of a third-party booking. And that's a rather extensive explanation of why you don't want to do that. But immediately in the wording, when they answer me, if they are booking for someone else, that's a decline. And I've got horror stories to explain why, but we won't go on into all that right now. Just suffice it to learn from experience. <laughs> That's one way to weed out a lot of problems. <laughs> okay. What was number two? Not the question, but the second thing to reduce the time commitment. Right. So the repairs and all that good stuff. And you said, if you have a good management company, one of my landlords, he had a property in Whittier, five bedroom, three bath, and it was super high end. He was getting 4500 a month for it, renting it to like the dean of Whittier College or something like that. <laughs> and the tenant moved out and he had his management company find him a new tenant. So the management company did and it was a disaster. It was kids and they started bringing their friends over. They turned it into some sort of a den of iniquity. I don't know, but it went downhill fast. Then they had to evict everybody. And when they got in there after the eviction process, he discovered this massive hole in the ceiling that was caused by some sort of a leak. And he said, hey, management company, you were supposed to be checking on this at least every six months. How did that get there? Because it had been like two years. So things like that don't happen when you're doing short-term rentals because you have such high turnover. Any little thing is taken care of, done. It doesn't blow up into a huge, huge problem. So you save a lot of money on that end. (laughs) And then the other thing that is interesting, I don't know if it's true in other states, but in California, when you rent to somebody or lease, the tenants have more rights to the property than you do. And it's kind of annoying. If you want to go in and check your property, you got to make an appointment. And if the tenants don't want to let you in, that's it. You can't go in. And it's weird because it's your property. (laughs) You know, I never understood that. Wait a minute. Who's making the mortgage payments here? But that's the law. So when it comes to Airbnb, 
you can come and go in your own property whenever you want. <laughs> like one of my landlords, he's calling me saying, can you open it up but block this weekend because my wife wants to have a book party with her girlfriends. And you say, sure, it's your property. You can do whatever you want with it. It's a huge benefit for landlords to have that control over their own property. It seems like such a small thing, but wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, control is definitely big. And as you said, in California, I'm sure it's a statewide, a tenant-friendly state versus landlord-friendly state. With a quick Google search for people listening, I can't remember, I've looked to do it before, and I can't remember at the top of my head which states are the best for landlords. But yeah, it's things like how much time do you need to give them before you can go into the property? Can you just show up or is it 24 hours notice? And then the eviction process, the security deposit return process, those all vary. So maybe that will convince some people to invest in an out-of-state market opposed to their own market. But again, like most things we're talking about, it all depends. (laughs) So I guess the last two categories won't take too long to talk about. One of them was, I kind of already mentioned this, the extra variables involved with short-term rentals over long-term rentals, things like furnishing the units. Um, something that I didn't think about until I was researching, but are reviews very important? I guess reviews being important for short-term rentals as opposed to someone like me who's got four units and doesn't have a company because, and again, I guess it would be the reviews on the Airbnb, not like a Google review. So since you're kind of under a microscope, you have to be on top of your game a little bit. Whereas for me, I'm not saying I'm slacking off or anything, but you know, it's just a whole different thing. Other examples are, and I guess you can get creative with this, but the amenities what all are you going to offer? Are you just going to do just the standard toiletries? Are you going to put some goodies in the fridge for them or leave them a bottle of wine to make them really enjoy their stay? And then, um, and then I don't bombard you with a lot, but then also if you are going to have a property management company, I know for long-term rentals, you're looking around 10% of the collective income for a single family. And then as you get to between four units, you're looking at maybe like 8%. And I don't know what the short-term rental rate would be, but I do remember at the best ever conference, Someone who does short-term corporate housing was there and said that it was like 25% property management fee. Now, I understand that it's all relative based off of the income you're bringing in. So you're bringing in five times as much income, but you're only paying three times more in expenses and it's fine. But do you want to kind of speak on anything I just said there? (laughs) (laughs) I know it was a lot. Overwhelmed. Yeah. (laughs) I actually wanted to go back to the previous conversation and say that evictions are another issue. If your state is not landlord friendly, if you do short-term rentals under 30 days, usually 30 days is the limit that if you cross over now, you're in long-term rental territory, you have to evict tenants if they don't comply. But if you're under 30 days, boom, now it's just a matter of trespassing and it's so much easier to deal with. None of the headaches. That's huge. Thank you. Okay, got that <laughs> off my chest. Now, um, onward to the other good stuff that you were talking about. So when it comes to reviews, you know what? That's so incredible because when we started doing, before Airbnb, we hosted international students in our house and all of our family and friends would say, you're crazy. How do you let strangers stay in your house? But reviews are what changed the game because now there's a certain amount of accountability. And it keeps everybody on their best behavior. Mm -hmm. So because that's built into the system, if you get bad reviews, you're not part of the community anymore, right? People won't. So it's actually what's created that trust that allows people to be crazy and stay in strangers' houses. What are you doing, right? I say the same thing about Uber. When you're a kid, didn't your parents say, don't get in the car with a stranger? (laughs) What are we doing now? We're hopping in cars with strangers like nothing. Why? What changed? Reviews. So that accountability and that being able to see that other people had a good experience before you, so it's probably okay, it gives you the confidence to go ahead and enjoy the use of that. So yeah, reviews are huge. And it's funny because when my daughter was looking for an apartment, she had a website that she checked and there were apartment buildings with reviews for the long-term tenants. So I do know, yeah, you are getting reviewed on Yelp or something these days. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's usually for larger ones. Because if you're looking at fourplex, I mean, maybe you could put whatever your LLC or rental company is on there. If you have like a website portal for all of your rentals and tenants can come there and see your rentals on the website, then you know, once you Google that website, there'll be that little thing on the side on Google where you can do Google reviews. But um, I think it's based off of having a website. So if you have a website for your company, then you're most likely going to have the reviews. And mm-hmm. again, when you are doing anything in your life, whether you're trying to find a restaurant or a place to live or a place to go on vacation, everyone Googles, you know, best restaurants in Tampa, Florida. And they'll just sort based off of the number of stars and the number of reviews. It's kind of the point right now where reviews are, as you said, they're a game changer, but now it's like, it's so important to have solid reviews. 
you have like a, some sort of strategy or a couple of other things that I was talking about? Is there certain amenities that you have? Are there certain techniques or anything that you do to make sure that you're always getting that perfect five-star review or 10 stars? I'm not sure what the, the rankings are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the way we live today. Everything's being reviewed. It's just part of our culture now. So yeah, it's actually pretty cool. And Airbnb, they give you the playbook. And they say, if you want to be a super host and maintain a star rating, this is what you got to do. So you're like, great, that's it. All I got to do is that. So it revolves around six different areas for a host. I don't think I can name them all off the top of my head. But the most important ones are accuracy in your listing. So whatever you're promising, you better deliver, right? That's common sense. Setting expectations, basically, with the guests. Mm -hmm. Cleanliness. Cleanliness is so important yeah. because it's the first impression. I guess come into the bedroom and you like dramatically tear down the sheets off the bed and go, aha, oh, it's clean. <laughs> what was that? Would they expect like a rat under there or something? I know, right? I'm like, okay. So they're really wanting that cleanliness, you know, and you're like, okay, good. There's a lot of ways to ensure cleanliness. I have something called the quick change over cleaning system that I've developed so that we get consistent results every time because it's, it's critical to keeping your super host status and getting five-star reviews. Communication is the other one that can be the biggest deal breaker and make it so hard for guests, especially when they're coming from other countries or they speak other languages. But Airbnb gives you all the tools so that you can over-communicate. You can use pictures <laughs> so that it's very clear and it makes yeah. everything so smooth. There's a lot of different things. Location, though, is the one that has just driven me nuts, and I think other hosts, too, because that's one of the things you get reviewed on, and we're like, what can we do about the location? It's all, it's like, oh, I can't move the house. <laughs> I wish I could, but... Yeah. I'm sure they do that just for so people that are, like, selecting where to live or selecting where to go if they want some amazing view or something, then they'll look at that and be like, that's like their main deciding factor. But yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> right. And, and we're aware that we're not at the beach with a view of the ocean. Okay, we're 26 miles away. So our price reflects that. We're not $300 a night. We're $49 a night. So we make up for it. Yeah. Work with me here. Yeah. So I guess that, that hits that. So the, so the, the last category I was going to talk about was competition, but I, you've hit on that because again, obviously for long-term rentals, there's plenty of actual properties that you could buy. I'm not saying that they're being sold or the owners are willing to sell, but there's going to be thousands and thousands of single families and two duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes that you can choose from in your market. And then obviously for short-term rentals, going into this conversation, again, I thought that it wasn't something that you could do everywhere. But as you explain, as long as you're super creative, you can Airbnb out a piece of dirt. So that kind, of, <laughs> that kind of answers that question. Something else I wanted to talk about too, just to wrap up here, because it's a very insightful conversation. More personally, I just moved to Tampa and we go to the beaches all the time now. And it's still just amazing. I'm, I can't believe I, I live here. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I'm used to living in Cincinnati. So like when we got here in January, it's, it was snowing there and then we come to sunny beaches, but there's so many cute little beach towns down here that you can see that there's obviously vacation rentals down there. And you've considered buying a single family house, not necessarily on the beach, but in one of those beach towns and then furnishing it. And then when we're not there, Airbnb it. But then it's something where, well, what if we just Airbnb it during the week? And then on the weekends, we just literally live down there. It's like after work, we just drive down there. I know we make more money renting on the weekends, I'm assuming, but still, again, you said it depends on how creative you get, but that's something that we were considering doing. To so coming into this conversation, I was thinking in the back of my head the entire time. It's like we could totally do this. We could have a beach house, but make money if we're having a beach house. So there's that. But then I know there's one thing that you, I wanted to hear from you, which is what did you call it? You called it the ultimate leverage strategy. Um, so um, do you want to just hit on what your ultimate leverage strategy is? Okay, sure. Oh, and by the way, more power to you because if you decide to go with that beach property. You've got the best of both worlds. You could stay in it when you want and go back to your other house when you don't want or, exactly. you know, rent it on the weekends or once a year or whatever. You've got all the options open to you. So I want to see what happens with that. Keep me posted. <laughs> but the ultimate leverage strategy came about because I teach people how to make a six-figure income with Airbnb, renting rooms and spaces in their own house. They can make $1,000 to $10,000 a month, showing landlords how to trade their long-term tenants for short-term guests eliminate eviction headaches, and double or triple the rental income on their empty rentals. But mm -hmm. then people kept saying, well, what if I don't have a property? What if I don't have enough startup capital to furnish a place? 
And I said, oh, well, there's an answer to that. You can actually get in on the Airbnb game and you can start an Airbnb business that you get paid for to start. So when people want to start a business and they start asking, well, you know, how much is it going to take? You know, and if you're looking at buying a property, well, 3% or do I have to go out and get a loan to 150,000 or maybe it's zero to start? No, this business model, the ultimate leverage, you actually get paid to start your business anywhere from 500 to $2,500 per property. So Hmm. it's a pretty powerful strategy and it's, providing guest management services to busy property owners and landlords. Okay. So in contrast, I guess the newest model I've been hearing about lately is, oh, let's use other people's property. But when they say that, they're actually going out and renting a property and then subletting it on Airbnb, which I've actually been approached by pretty smart landlords. And they're like, hey, why don't you just give me a flat fee per month and you keep whatever else you make on top of that, which I do. So that works too. But the way you can get in on this without having to have that monthly payment or pay the utilities or have to worry about any expenses, zero cost out of pocket, is just partner with those busy landlords and property owners by providing the guest management services. So if anybody out there is an Airbnb host right now, little light bulbs are going off like crazy. And if you don't already have experience doing that, I have a course called the B&B Freedom Formula that teaches you how to become that Airbnb expert so that you can start to offer those services and create a six-figure income from your own Airbnb business. And the beauty of it, because there's no cost to you, is it's unlimited in the scalability. So you can grow this as big as you want. And I teach you how to outsource all of the different pieces of it so that it doesn't depend on you. And I give you the pieces to fill in as your inventory grows so that you have unlimited capacity. So it's a very exciting business model and it's been blowing it out of the water because so many people haven't been able to get in Airbnb game until now. So thank you for letting me share that. That's awesome. My understanding is essentially you're like an Airbnb kind of like property manager. You're acting as the property management company for people like example for you, if you didn't want to do anything, not anything, but if you didn't want to do the day-to-day activities, from my perspective, as a long-term landlord, I'd be like, I need to find a regular property management company. Whereas if I was an Airbnb host and I was sick and tired of dealing with cleaning toilets, as they always say, you'd get this Airbnb guest services, what you called it? Guest management services. Guest management mm-hmm. services. Okay. That's a business model that I've developed. It's not endorsed by Airbnb or anything, oh, you know, okay. but I use Airbnb as the tool to deliver my services. So I've been training people how to provide those services as well so that they can actually tap into that additional income and get paid. Actually, oh, you were asking about what, how much you make, right? Yeah. So with the Airbnb management, it's more 20 to 50% because you're right. We increase the income so much that it's still a smaller slice than it would have been at 10% on a long-term rental. So, yeah. yeah so, so, so if you're a property management company, if you are either interested in starting a property management company, this is something you should definitely be interested in and pursue further because if you're making 20 to 50% on a revenue that's five to 10 times higher than what it would be otherwise, then you're going to be able to scale a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. And I just need to make sure that people understand if you are a property management company already, this is a beautiful tie-in. Why not just start offering this additional service? Save yourself a lot of time on screening and all that stuff. You can probably reduce your number of employees and save some money on your overhead. Who knows? But in order to do the guest management services, it's not technically property management. So you don't need to have all the licenses and permits and everything involved. Because of the way I set it up, you're not handling any of those things technically so that you are free to just go out and start your business without any restrictions. Awesome. I think we should... And the debate portion with that powerful strategy. And uh, before we wrap up, I just want to just quickly look, uh, ask you some listener questions. And we had a question earlier from Whitney, and so we really appreciate that. We had a second question from Grant. It's something we talked about way at the beginning of the conversation. So I apologize for that, Grant. But he asked, what happens to an existing Airbnb property when a town or city outlaws Airbnb? Do you have to shut down existing Airbnbs or can you just not create a new one? 
Ah, good question. question. Yeah. So it's happened to folks. They've been in the zone where it's not just like they've changed the laws and said, now you have to get a permit or now you have to comply, but they've actually said, nope, it's banned. So unfortunately you do have to stop doing Airbnb short-term rentals, but short-term rentals again mean anything under 30 day rentals. So a landlord, if you own that property, You've got so many options open to you, right? That's the nature of real estate. We're always looking for higher and better uses for it. And there's a ton of them. So you have all the options open to you. You can go back to long-term rentals or even there's an in-between. Something that's really fun is corporate rentals. Mm -hmm. So business travelers, sometimes they need to stay for two to three months. Traveling nurses, people who need a short stay, but longer than 30 days. You could still do that, no problem. And you will be compliant with the no Airbnb, which is actually nothing less than 30 days is what they need. So you still have a lot of options open to you. Makes sense. All right, Sue, I really appreciate it. Just to kind of quickly summarize what we talked about. And so we were doing Airbnb slash short-term rentals versus long-term rentals. And we were kind of comparing them across a variety of different factors. In regards to returns for short-term rentals, you're looking at approximately three times (laughs) is much rental income compared to long-term rentals. The only potential drawback is the fluctuations. But again, with a little creativity, you can fix that. Whereas for the long-term rentals, you're not getting as high of returns, but you do have that consistency. In regards to barrier of entry, which is much surprise to me, you can do these anywhere. You can do it in a city, depending on you know, the rules and regulations. You can do it in the suburbs, which as you said, it was one of the main places you can do it. And then again, my favorite part of this conversation is the dirt. You can really Airbnb dirt that people can ride around on their dirt bikes. And then obviously for long-term rentals, you can do them anywhere as well. We talked about the time commitment and you gave us like, three things in particular that you can do to, I guess, kind of reduce the time commitments. And I went over a couple of kind of stories of my progression through managing the property I lived in to managing properties I didn't live in to finally ridding myself of that responsibility and giving it to a property management company who's doing a great job. And we kind of hit on competition a little bit. And then we wrapped up with the ultimate leverage strategy, which is essentially a property management for Airbnb, but with insanely much higher <laughs> returns. And so I really appreciate you being here. Everyone's listening. Thanks for tuning in. Where is a good place people can learn more about you, learn more about the information you've talked about today, and learn more about your short-term rental strategies? They can find me at sueoyuela.com. We might want to put that in the show notes because it's kind of hard to spell, but hey, my name's right there on the screen. So if you can spell it, sueoyuela.com, that's a great place to learn more. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the first ever, a best ever debate. And we will talk to you guys soon. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. See a rundown or abandoned house? Well, snap a picture with the Deal Machine app to instantly find the owner and get in touch via direct mail, email, and phone in just 10 seconds. Search Deal Machine in your app store or visit dealmachineapp.com.